49. Eager, that, from the title of our present article, we are about to prescribe for you any political draft. No, be assured that we know as little about politics as pyrotic me that we are as blissfully ignorant of all that relates to the science of government as that of gastronomy and have ever since our boyhood preferred the solid consistency of gingerbread to the crisp insipidity of parliament. The candidates of whom we write were no would-be senators no sprouting Ciceros or embryo Demosthenes they were no aspirants for the grand honor of representing the honest and independent stocks and stones of some ancient rotten borough, or, what is about the same thing, the enlightened ten-pound voters of some modern reformed one they were not ambitious of the proud privilege of appending for seven years two letters to their names, and of franking some half-dozen others per diem, no. The rivals who form the theme of our present paper were emulous of obtaining no place in Parliament, but, what is far more desirable, a place in the affections of a lovely maid, they sought not for the suffrages of the unwashed, but for the smiles of a fair one, they neither desired to be returned as the representative of so many sordid voters for the term of seven years a term of transportation common alike to M.P.S. and pickpockets, but for the more permanent honor of being elected as the partner of a certain lady for life. Georgiana Gray was the lovely object of the rivalry of the above candidates, and a damsel more eminently qualified to be the innocent cause of contention could not be found within the whole catalogue of those dear destructive little creatures who, from Eve downwards, had always possessed a peculiar patent for mischief-making. Georgiana was as handsome as she was rich. She was, in the superlative sense of the word, a beauty, and what ought to be written in letters of gold in heiress. She had the figure of a sylph and the purse of a nabod, her face was lovely and animated enough to enrapture a raffiali, and her fortune ample enough to captivate a rough child, she had a clear rent roll of 20.000 l per annum, and a pair of eyes that, independent of her other attractions, were sufficiently fascinating to seduce Diogenes himself into matrimony, philosophers generally affirm that the only substance capable of producing a magnetic effect is steel, but had they been witnesses of the great attraction that the fortune of our fair heroine had for its many eager pursuers, they would doubtless have agreed with us that the metal possessing the greatest possible power of magnetism is decidedly gold. Innumerable were the butterflies that were drawn towards the luster of the lovely Georgiana's money, and many a sweeter, who set a high value upon his personal qualifications, might be found at her side endeavoring to persuade its pretty possessor of the eligible investment that might be made of the property in himself. Report, however, had invidiously declared that Georgiana looked with a cold and contemptuous eye upon the addresses of all save two. Augustus Peacock and Julius Candy this enviable duo were two such young men as may be met with in herds any fine afternoon publishing their persons to the frequenters of Regent Street. They did credit to their tailors who were liberal enough to give them credit in return. Their coats were guiltless of a wrinkle, their gloves immaculate in their chastity, and their boots resplendent in their brilliancy. Indeed they were human annuals splendidly bound, handsomely embellished but replete with nothing but fashionable frivolities. They never ventured out till such time as they imagined the streets were well aired, and were never known to indulge in in Havana till 12 o'clock p.m. They were scrupulous in their attentions to the opera and the figurants and had no objection to wear the chains of matrimony provided the links were made of gold. In fine, they were of that common genus of gentlemen who lounge through life, and leave nothing behind them but a tombstone and a small six-shilling advertisement amongst the deaths of some morning newspaper as a record of their having existed. 
such were the persons and the qualifications of the gentleman to whom report had assigned the possession of the hand and fortune of the fair Georgiana Gray. But, happy as they respectively felt to be thus singled out for the proud distinction, still the knowledge of their being a rival in the field to dispute the glories of the conquest materially detracted from that feeling. They had each heard of the pretensions of the other, and while the peace of the one was repeatedly disturbed by the panegyrics of Mr. P. The harmony of the other met with an equal violation from the eulogies of Mr. C., and although their respective vanities would not allow them to believe that the lady in question could be so deficient in taste as to prefer any other person to their precious selves, still it was but natural that they should neither look upon the other with any other feeling than that of disgust at the egregious impudence, and contempt for the superlative conceit that could lead any other man to enter the lists as an opponent to themselves. Repeatedly had Mr. P. been heard to express his desire to lengthen the olfactory organ of Mr. C., while the latter had frequently been known to declare that nothing would confer greater gratification upon him than to endorse with his cane the person of Mr. P. In fact, they hated each other with all possible cordiality. Fortunately, however, circumstances had never brought them into collision. It was a lovely afternoon in May. All the world were returning to town. Georgiana Gray had just forsaken Harrogate and its waters, to participate in the thickening deities of the metropolis. Augustus Peacock had abandoned the moors of Scotland for the beauties of Almex, and Julius Candy had hastened from the banks of the Wye for the fascinations of Taglioni and the opera. The first object of Augustus on returning to town was to hasten and pay his devoirs to his intended. With this intent he proceeded to the mansion of Georgiana and was ushered into the drawing-room, with the assurance that the lady would be with him immediately. The servant, however, had no sooner quitted the apartment than Mr. Candy, actuated by a similar motive, knocked at the door, and was speedily conducted into the presence of his rival. The two gentlemen, being mutually ignorant of the person of the other, bowed with all the formality usual to a first introduction. Fine day, sir, said Augustus Peacock, after a short pause little aware that he was holding communion with his rival. It is very fine, sir, returned Julius Candy with a smile, which, had he been conscious of the person he was addressing, would instantly have been converted into a most contemptuous sneer. Have you had the pleasure of seeing Miss Gray, sir, since her return from Harrowgate? inquired Augustus, with the soft civility of a man of fashion. No, I have not yet had that honor, sir, Mumber, replied Julius with a slight inclination of his body. Charming girl, sir, remarked Mr. Peacock. Fascinating creature, responded Mr. Candy. Did you ever see such eyes, sir, continued Mr. P. Never, Pon my honor, never, exclaimed Julius, in a tone of moderate enthusiasm. You may call them eyes, sir, and here he elevated his own, and what lips, positively provoking, ah, uh, sir, languishingly remarked Augustus. He will be a happy may who gets possession of such a treasure. He will, indeed, sir, returned his unknown rival, with an air of self-satisfaction, as if he believed that happiness was likely to be his own. You are aware, I suppose, sir, proceeded the communicative Mr. Peacock, that there is a certain party whom Miss Gray looks upon with particular favor, and the gentleman, to give peculiar emphasis to the remark, slightly elevated his cravat. I should think I ought to be, wantedly returned Mr. C. simpering somewhat diffidently at the idea that the observation was leveled at himself. The two rivals looked at each other, tittered, and bowed. Ah, yes I dare say observed it. No doubt, said Augustus, 
when his emotion had subsided, why, yes I should have been blind indeed could I have failed to remark it, responded Julius, oh yes you're right yes Miss Gray's attentions have been particularly marked, certainly yes, they have been, sir, very, very marked she's quite taken, poor thing, I believe, yes, poor creature, sadly smitten indeed, the lady has confessed as much to you perhaps, sir, Mr. Candy looked surprised at the remark of his companion, and replied, Why really, sir, that is a question which, uh, yes, I beg pardon, I was wrong, yes, I ought to have considered but candidly, sir, what do you think of the match, upon my honor, my dear sir, exclaimed Julius most feelingly, coloring slightly at the question, which he thought was rather home thrust, uh, yes, to be sure, it is rather a delicate question, considering, you know, that one is in the presence of the party himself, is it not, very, very delicate, I can assure you, said Julius, who, laying the flattering unction to his soul, that he was the party alluded to, thought it rather an indelicate one, Augustus observed the embarrassment of his companion, and could not refrain from laughter, and turning round to his companion, inquired significantly, whether he did not think he was a happy man, Julius, who was in a measure similarly affected by the excitement of his unknown friend, observed, that the gentleman certainly did seem of a peculiarly gay disposition, and the two rivals, each delighted with the fancied approval of his suit by the other, indulged a mutual cachination, I suppose, after a slight pause remarked Augustus, with apparently perfect indifference, you are aware that there was a rival in the field, oh, ah, did hear of a fellow, responded Julius, with equal insouciance, but the idea of any other man carrying off the prize, perfectly ridiculous, oh, absolutely ludicrous, upon my soul, ha, 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 it is astonishing the confounded vanity of some people, and their preposterous obtuseness, why, a man with half an eye might see the folly of such presumption, to be sure, stupid dolt, impudent puppy, conceit fool, the fellow must be out of his senses, yes, a horse-whipping perhaps might bring him to, aye, or a good kicking might be salutary, the unanimity of the rival candidates produced, as might be supposed from their ignorance of the pretensions of each other, a feeling of mutual satisfaction and friendship, which, after a volley of anathemas had been fired by each gentleman against his rival, in absolute unconsciousness of his presence, ultimately displayed itself by each of them rising from his chair, and shaking the other most energetically by the hand, Really, my dear sir, exclaimed Augustus in an inordinate fit of enthusiasm, at the supposed sympathy of his companion, I never met with a gentleman so peculiarly to my fancy as yourself, the feeling is perfectly reciprocal, believe me, my dear sir, returned Julius, equally delighted with the imagined friendship of Mr. P, I trust that our acquaintance will not end here, I shall be most proud to cultivate it, I can assure you, will you allow me to present you with a card? I shall be too happy to exchange it for one of my own, and so saying, the parties searched for their cases Mr. P in the meantime, protesting his gratification, to meet with a gentleman whose opinions so thoroughly coincided with his own, and Mr. C as emphatically declaring, that he should ever consider this the most fortunate occurrence of his life, believe me, I shall be most happy to see you at any time, observed Mr. Augustus Peacock smiling as he placed the small oblong of cardboard which bore his name and address in the hand of his companion, I shall feel too proud if you will honor me with a call at your earliest convenience, said Mr. Julius Candy bowing, 
while he presented to his fancied friend the little pasteboard parallelogram inscribed with his title and residence. The eyes of the two gentlemen, however, were no sooner directed to the cards, which had been placed in their hands, than the smiles which had previously gladdened their countenances were instantaneously changed into expressions of the most indignant scorn and surprise. Peacock! shouted Candy. Candy! vociferated Peacock. Sir! exclaimed the furious Mr. P. Had I known that Candy was the name of the man, Sir, whom I was addressing, Sir, my conduct you would have found, Sir, of a very different character, and had I been aware, retorted the exasperated Mr. C., that Peacock was the title of the fellow, and he laid a forty horsepower of emphasis upon the word with whom I had been conversing. My card would never have been delivered to him but with a different motive. Fellow, Sir, I think you said fellow, Sir. I did, sir, fellow was the word I used, and I repeat it fellow fellow, you do, sir, and I throw back in your teeth, sir, with the addition of fool, sir, fool, Mumber no not quite a fool only near one, sir, you're a conceit puppy, sir, and you are an impudent scoundrel, sir, this brought matters to a crisis, the parties embraced their canes with more than ordinary ardor, and, by their lowering looks, indicated a fervent desire to violate the peace of her blessed majesty, when the fair cause of their contention suddenly entered the apartment, it was no difficult matter, in the positions they occupied, for Georgiana to divine the reason of their animosity, which she effectually allayed by informing the angry disputants, that either had no reason to look upon the other with any degree of jealousy, for she humbly begged to assure them that her affections were devoted to neither, this, of course, put a full stop to their chivalry, each party seized his hat, bowing distantly to the insensible Georgiana, and left the house, vowing certain destruction to the other, but, upon cool reflection, Masros, C.M.P. doubtless deemed it advisable not to endanger the small quantum of brains they individually possessed, by fighting for a lady who was so utterly blind to their manifold merits, thus ended the feud of the rival candidates, Sir Francis B.U.R.D.A.D.'s visit to the tower, on the news of the fire in the Tower of London being told to Sir Francis Burdett, he hurried to the scene of the conflagration, which must have suggested some unpleasing reminiscences of his lost popularity and faded glory. Some thirty years ago, those very walls received him like a second Hampton, the undaunted defender of his country's rights. On last Monday he entered them a broken-down and hunted parasite. Gazing on the black and smoldering ruins before him he perhaps compared them to his own patriotism for he was heard to matter audibly reform your lawyer's bills. It is a well-known and established fact, that nothing so far conduces to the domestic happiness of all circles as the golden system of living within one's income. Luxury ceased to be so if after reflection produces vexatious results, comfort flies before an exorbitant and unprepared for demand, and the debtor done by the merciless creditor sinks into something worse than a cipher, as nothingness is denied him, and the one standing before him but aggravates and multiplies his painful annoyances, the great secret of satisfactory existence derives its origin from well-calculated and moderate expenditure, 10,000 a year renders pines cheap at 1L, 11S, 60, per pound, 1000 is better exemplified by Rebstong Pippins, so in all grades are there various matters of taste which become extravagance if rushed into by persons and breached for the occasion, luckily for the present day. The tastes of the German and Epicure are merged in more manly sports, 
the great class of Corinthian aristocrats cull sweets from the blackened eyes of policemen raptures from wrenched off knockers merriment in contusions and frantic delight in fractured limbs. These innocent amusements had in their prosecution plunged many of their thoughtless and high-spirited devotees into pecuniary difficulties, simply from their ignorance of the costs attendant upon such exciting, fashionable, and therefore highly proper amusements, ever anxious to ameliorate the suffering and persecuted of all classes, Masros, Quibble and Quirk, attorneys at law, beg to offer their professional services at the following fixed and equitable rate, Bay, Masros, Q and Q pledging themselves that on no occasion shall the charge exceed the sum opposite the particular amusement in the following list, NB 5%, per annum taken off for terms of imprisonment, NB, for prompt payment only, Masros, Q and Q dot single quote as card of charges for defending a nobleman, right Honda, baronet, knight, esquire, gentleman, younger son, head clerk, junior do, Westminster boy, medical student, Grecian at Christ's Church, Monitor, or any other miscellaneous individual aping or belonging to the aristocracy, from the following prosecutions, L.S. to breaking a policeman's neck 50-0 to producing witnesses to swear policeman broke same himself 10-0 to choice of situation of house and street where done, from roof of which policeman fell, fee to a landlord for number and affidavit 10-10 total for neck, acquittal, witnesses, and perjury L-70-10 for due, leg, ribs, arms, head, nose, or other unimportant member 1504 receipt written by wife of handsome provision 104 writing and indorsing same 55 extras for alibis, if necessary, hire of clothes for witnesses to a look decent, including loss by their absconding with the name 1010 total L3115 for knockers by gross and populous neighborhoods 2004 carpenter proving same never fitted their respective doors their engaged 33 all extras included 11 total L24 for NB Masros, Q and Q beg to suggest, as the above charges are low, the old iron may as well be left at their offices, for railings, per knob or dozen, assaults on police included if not amounting to fracture 554 suppressing police reports, or getting them put in in a sporting manner, the word gentleman substituted for prisoner, and seat on the bench, for place at the bar, 1010 total L1515 and all other legal articles in the above lines at equally low charges, nobleman and gentleman contracting for seven years allowed a handsome discount, no connection with any other house, when Vulcan forged, and see, bless my soul, said Sir Peter Lorry. Rushing into the justice room the morning the exchequer bill affair was discovered, and seizing Hobler by the button, this is a dreadful business, have you any idea, Hobler, who the delinquent is, why really, Sir Peter, tease difficult to say, but from an inspection of the forged instruments I should say it was Smith's work, Sir Peter felt the importance of the suggestion, and rushed off to Sir Robert Peel to recommend the stoppage of all the forges in the kingdom, Peel's pre-existence. Every man is not only himself, says Sir Thomas Brown, there have been many Diogenes, and as many Timons, though but few of that name, men are lived over again, the world is now as it was in ages past, there was none then but there have been someone since that parallels him, and, as it were, his revived self, we are devout believers in the creed, Herr von D.U.F.E.L.S.K.O.P.F. was a high German doctor, of the first class. He had taken his diploma of Beelzebub in the Black Forest, and was gifted with as fine a hand to force a card with as glib a tongue to harangue a mob at wakes and fairs, as any professor since the birth of the fourth grace of life. Swindling, 
he would talk until his head smoked of his list of miraculous cures of his balsams, his anodynes, his elixirs, in the benevolence of his soul he would, to accommodate the pockets of the poor, sell a pennyworth of the philosopher's stone, and, as a further illustration of his sympathy for suffering man or woman, give, even for a kreutzer, a mouthful of the fountain of youth, as a water doctor, too, his sagacity was inconceivable, a hundred years ago, he told to a fraction the amount of the national debt, from a single glance at the specimen sent him by John Bull, and more, for five and twenty years predicted who would be the incoming Lord Mayor of London, from an inspection of a pint of water presented to him every season from Aldgate Pump, he could prophesy all the politics of the court of aldermen from a file filled at Fleet Ditch, and could at any time no trifling task tell the amount of corruption in the House of Commons, by taking up a handful of water at Westminster Bridge, on his stolen visit to England for the honor he has done our country has never been generally known he calculated to a nicety how many puppies and kittens were annually drowned in the Thames, and how many suicides particularizing the sex and dress of each sufferer were committed in the same period, from a bottle full of Thames water brought to him wherewith to dilute his brandy at the ship public house, Greenwich a hostelry much frequented by Dr. T. U. F. We have seen the calculation very beautifully illuminated on ass's skin, and at this moment deposited in the College of Heligoland. It is not generally known that the doctor died in this country, lustily predicting, however, that after a nap of a score or so of years he would return to this life in an entirely new character. The doctor has kept his word. Herr von Deleuethiolescopius, as Sir Thomas Brown says, is lived over again in Sir Robiardi Peel. It is impossible to reflect upon the enlarged humanity of Sir Robiardi for though, indeed, he is no other than the old German quack revived, we will not refuse to him his new name toward the sufferers of Paisley, without feeling that the fine spirit of finesse which made the reputation of the student of the Black Forest has in no way suffered from its long sleep, but, on the contrary, has risen very much refreshed for new practice, the doctor never compassed so fine a slight as Sir Robiardi when lately playing the philanthropist, he struck his breeches pocket with a spasm of benevolence, and pulled therefrom fifty pounds, only a few weeks before, Sir Robiardi had sworn by all his list of former cures, that he would clothe the naked and feed the hungry, if he were duly authorized and duly paid for such Christian-like solicitude, he is called in, he then prorogues parliament to the tune of, go to the devil and shake yourself, and sits down in the easy chair of salary, and tries to think, disturbed in his contemplations by the groans and screams of the famishing, he addresses the starving multitude from the windows of Downing Street, telling them he can do nothing for them in a large way, but the fee he has received to cure them can afford as much graciously throwing them fifty pounds from his private compassion, as a statesman he is powerless, but he has no objection to subscribe to the Mendicity Society, it is an old hackneyed abuse of Nero that when Rome was in flame he accompanied the crackling of doors and rafters with his very best fiddle. We grant this show a want of fine sympathy on the part of Nero, there was, nevertheless, a boldness, an exhibition of nerve, in such instrumentation, anyway, it leaves us with a higher respect for Nero than if he had been found playing on the burning pantheon with a penny squirt, his mockery of the Romans, bad as it was, was not the mockery of compassion, I will make bread cheap for you says Sir Robiardi Peel to the Paisley sufferers, I will not enable you to buy the quarter loaf at a reduced rate by your own industry, but I will treat you to a penny roll, at its present size, from my own purse, 
whereupon the Torahs clap their hands and cry, What magnanimity! What should we say if, on another Pilane conflagration of London, the minister were to issue an order commanding all the fire offices to make no attempt to extinguish the flames, and were then to exclaim to the sufferers, My friends, I deeply sympathize with you, but the phoenix shall not budge. The hand in hand mustn't move a finger. The eagle must stay where it is, nevertheless. There is a little private fire engine of my own at Tamworth, you are heartily welcome to the use of it, and pray heaven it may put this terrible fire out, and once more make you snug and comfortable. Quackery is of more ancient birth than many very honest people suspect, nay, more than, were the register of its nativity laid before their eyes, they would be willing to admit, we have no space for its voluminous history, but it is our belief, since quackery first plied its profitable trade with human incredulity. It never perpetrated so successful a trick as that exhibited by Sir Robiardi Peel in his motion of want of confidence. The first scene of the farce is only begun. We have seen how Sir Robiardi has snatched the cards out of the hands of the Whigs, and shall find how he will play the self-same trumps assorted by his opponents. A change is already coming over the conservatives, they are meek and mild, and, with their pocket handkerchiefs at their eyes, lisp about the distresses of the people. When the geese gaggle, says a rustic saw, expect a change of weather, Lord Londonderry has already begun to talk of an alteration of the corn laws, who knows what a minister may be compelled to do, says Lord Londonderry, these are new words for the old Harrington she was wont, like Falstaff, to blow out her cheeks and defy compulsion, but the true philentorism has a new host to contend with, her old reign was supported by fictitious credit by seeming prosperity and, more than all, by the ignorance of the people. Well, the bills drawn by Toryism at a long date we grant had now to be paid paper as to be turned into bank gold. Arithmetic is a great teacher, and, with the taxman's ink horn at his buttonhole, gives at every door lessons that sink into the heart of the scholar. Public opinion, which, in the good old days, when George III was king, was little more than an abstraction of thing talked of, not acknowledged is now a tangible presence. The said public opinion is now formed of hundreds of thousands whose existence, save in the books of the Exchequer, was scarcely admitted by any reigning minister. Sir Robiardi Peel has now to give in his reckoning to the hard heads of Manchester, of Birmingham, of Leeds he must pass his books with them, and tens of thousands of their scholars scattered throughout the kingdom, or, three months after the next meeting of Parliament, he is not, at this moment, it is said, Sir Robiardi is studying what taxes he can best lay upon the people. We confess to the difficulty of the case, at this moment there is scarcely a feather so light, the addition of which will not crack the camel's back. No, Sir Robiardi will come to the with measures of relief, having so disguised them as, like plagiarism metaphors, to make them pass for his own. The object of himself and party island however, attained, he has juggled himself into place with the genius of his former existence, as T.U.F.E.L.S.K.O.P.F., the premier has shuffled himself into Downing Street, and there he will leave nothing and try that he may remain. If Cato gets drunk, then is drunkenness no shame, if Sir Robiardi Peel alter the Corn Laws, then is it proper that the Corn Laws should be changed. This will be the cry of the conservatives, and we shall see men, who before would have bowed themselves to slow starvation before they would admit an ear of wheat from Poland or Egypt. Vote for a sliding scale or no scale at all, as their places and the strength of their party may be best assured. Dr. Von D.U.F.E.L.S.K.O.P.F. for years of his life was wont to eat fire and swallow a sword. 
we shall see how once more Sir Orobiardi Peel will eat his own principles swallow his own words, when men call this apostasy, the doctor will blandly smile, and denominate it a sacrifice to public opinion, we have no doubt that, as long as he can, the premier will put off the remedy, he will try this and that, but at length public opinion will compel him to cast aside his own nostrums and use Russell's bread pills, cue epigrams on a loud and silly talker, if it be true man's tongue is like a steed, which bears his mind, why then, none wonder need, that Timelin's tongue can run at such a rate, because it only carries feather weight, when Timelin speaks, his voice so shrill and loud fills with amazement all the listening crowd, but soon the wonder ceases, when tea's found that empty vessels make the greatest sound, punches pencilings, mumbrics vii, the physiology of the London medical student, six, of the grinder and his class, one fine morning, in the October of the third winter session, the student is suddenly struck by the recollection that at the end of the course the time will arrive for him to be thinking about undergoing the ordeals of the hall and college, making up his mind, therefore, to begin studying in earnest, he becomes a pro tempore member of a temperance society, pledging himself to abstain from immoderate beer for six months, he also purchases a coffee pot, a reading candlestick, and Stagall's manual, and then, contriving to accumulate five guineas to pay a grinder, he routes out his old notebooks from the bottom of his box, and commences to read for the whole, aspirants to honors in law, physic, or divinity, each know the value of